Hello and welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Cast where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. And we are uh, in the midst of the playoffs, the second round about to begin. And unfortunately, our Islanders are not a part of that. But that does not mean that the New York Islanders have not been in the news as of late. Coaching changes, the draft, all sorts of stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the first, uh, the topic that's really on everybody's mind, Barry Trotz out as coach. Phil, your thoughts, your theories, why it happened and how you're feeling about it today. Initial thought was, I mean, when I first heard the news, it was, it was shocking, right? None of us, we, we had spoken about and committed a lot of time on this podcast to talking about some of Barry's struggles this season uh, from a personal standpoint not getting away from certain players early enough in the season, not mixing in others at later points in the season. Um, but my initial thought back then, without having the news that we got today, which is Lane Lambert will be taken over as head coach, was one of this thing could go off the rails really quickly because all of a sudden you had all the speculation and Kurt's writing articles about maybe they're going to bring in Mike Babcock. Maybe they're going to bring in one of these old legacy coaches um, who, you know, who've been around the block and to me don't represent an obvious upgrade or, um, you know, improvement on Barry. Uh, so the lane news, which I'm sure we'll get to, uh, was, was a welcome sight for me at least today. Um, but it's, it's something that's going to make for some very interesting off season moves. Um, and I think ultimately it's going to allow more flexibility and creativity with the roster. Oh, we can certainly see that for sure. Uh, we were going to, for all the, all of these listen listeners, we were going to do a podcast the night of, or maybe the night after, but we kind of wanted to digest the news, see what happened. We had the, the lottery, uh, the NHL lottery, uh, the draft lottery going on as well. We figured we could kind of, if anything, chew on all of this before we're speaking. BD, from, you know, how'd you feel when the news happened? Why do you think it went down? And, and how are you feeling today? Obviously, it was shocking as much as we went into like, um, I think it was Phil that said one of the worst years that Barry had really that we'd seen him coaching. And I, I happen to agree, but I don't think anyone expected him to lose the job, at least, you know, but, you know, trailing back and I want to look at a little bit in hindsight, it seemed crazy to me when the season was clearly lost and him double down on his habits of going with vets and pulling uh, Wallstrom and, you know, starting to do the same things and not give the youth more reps and more chances. And I, I was really surprised. And in, in looking back and so, and it, it's obviously, um, I don't nest. I don't think it was just Lou. I, I think that ownership got concerned. I think they were. I think that that Barzal's next contract, the fact that he's been, he can't be happy. Um, you know, he can. And the you know there is some reverberation, and you know it did seem that the team was very very frustrated, and. Barry wasn't getting out of some of the key kids what he needed. So how are you feeling so today? The Islanders needed. Now with 
you know, I was concerned and thought that that Lou would go into his bag of tricks and get Babcock. Um, I was glad to see that he didn't. Um, you know, that would have been, fu- by the way, for the record, I think we all agree on this. That would have been fucking horrific after learning what Babcock, I mean, we all kind of knew it, Babcock old style, old school, but after learning what happened with Mitch Marner and that whole situation up in Toronto, I, I just, Babcock would have been an absolute, absolute disaster in my opinion. Well, it would have been tone deaf and, and I'm glad to see that, you know, and what came very clear today when they went with Lane Lambert is that, you know, it might, I, I think when we were talking about it, it might, the ch- coaching choice would give us indication of 100%. what might've really went on. And I think it's very clear that it was Barry's handling of youth and the fact that they are, they're pivoted on those kids getting to the next level. And I think ownership got concerned. I think Lou clearly made some mistakes um, and hopefully recognized it. He certainly said the thing that we, that seemed very clear from the beginning of the season, if not last summer, an offensive defenseman, and at least gave wordage to that for the first time and hopefully can course correct. But, you know, and it really shows that, you know, as much as they have to go out and make changes, they are really hinged on those players, those young players to, to, you know, move ahead and not regress. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to just say, I mean, I'm not willing to commit to why or how, or the whole thing went it down. I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of guesswork and and rhetoric on, Oh, this is why Barry Trotz was fired. I, I don't know if we'll ever know why, but to your point, BD, I think the fact that lane was brought in, does kind of give a little bit of a bigger picture of what happened. Um, you know, some people on Twitter were talking about, oh, this isn't a new voice. It, it certainly is. Now, it might be a similar system to what was in the past that's tweaked a little bit, but as a coach myself, to assume that the assistant coach would have the same voice as the head coach is naive and ignorant at best. Yeah, it might. he might have the same foundations, but... Um, you know, what was cited to me and um, I threw it on Twitter was that, you know, Lambert was one of the, you know, worked with the young forwards uh, in Washington. So he's been he's somebody who usually gets assigned and starts to work with those those kids. So it's something that, you know, that Lou must feel that this is the right person for the job. Yeah, I, and, and listen, I was just saying, I mean, I don't know if it's the young kids thing, and I want to get to you in a second, Phil. I don't know if it's, that's why he was fired or whatever it was. And, you know, who knows, maybe two years ago they disagreed on some personnel moves, or maybe it was last summer, or maybe they disagreed on what would ha- what needed to happen this summer, you know? We don't know. I mean, I think, obviously, the coaching change and who they chose, who Lou ultimately chose, tells us some of the picture. And I think what Lou does the rest of the summer will maybe paint the rest of the picture and we'll be a little clearer on this. Um, I, I I just find it interesting that a lot of people just came to conclusions of this is why he was fired. There was no other reason for it. <laughs> when I, I just think that's kind of ridiculous to assume that you know. Um, Phil? Yeah, I think there could be, it could be one of a lot of things. Right. I, I'm, I'm just remembering back to 
the day of the trade deadline, trade deadline when we were um, on this podcast reading a bunch of Luke quotes. And one of the quotes was in, in answering a question about Barry's contract status. And Lou simply said something to the effect of, well, he's under contract for next season. That's a summer conversation. And I had asked, is that shots fired right there? And we all kind of dismissed it, but maybe we should have read a little bit more into it. But I think between Barry having one year left on his contract, between the reports coming out that Detroit really wanted to make Lane Lambert their guy. And it looked as if because of the Iserman connection that he was going to go there. And Lou referencing today that he really liked the way Lane handled the team in the two weeks that Barry was gone. And obviously he's not basing the decision off of three games, but if there was some sort of falling out between Barry and Lou, and while Barry was away in Winnipeg taking care of family matters because his mother passed away, Lou and Lane kind of developed a better rapport and kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. Maybe there was something with, with Lane where there was different perspective, a different way of doing things. And that is when, you know, the wheel started spinning in Lou's head. Um, and ultimately that's, this, that's when the seeds were planted for this. And let's not for a second. You know, what Lou says is not necessarily all truth. I think we all know that. For he, sure. You know, he is, he, he is a, a ninja of sorts when it comes to word speak. And I think, you know, when he said that I made this decision by myself, I take that as if you want to blame somebody for this decision, blame me. It's not a matter of I made this decision because he is not going to ever throw anybody else under the bus. You know, he's never going to say, well, I took, I spoke to Matt Barzal and Barzal said this, because why would he ever do that? He was, he is the kind of guy, he's an old school guy. He's going to take responsibility for it himself. He's the captain. He is the leader of the ship. The, the, you know, uh, and if it goes down, it's, he's going to go down with it. And he knows that. I don't think for a second that the end of the year player meetings didn't influence this decision. And to our point, and we talked about this, we dedicated an entire podcast to it. Trotz was bad this year. Like, it wasn't even just like, oh, he was bad for him. No, he was bad. I mean, his decisions, he just wasn't a very good coach this season. Now, does that mean he's a bad coach, period? No, but did his message get stale? Did his voice get stale? In those end-of-the-season meetings with Chara, with Parisi, with Barzal, with Anders Lee, did Lou not find out, hey, listen, we really respect Lane, and we think he'd be a great coach, too. And, you know, maybe Trotz's message is getting old. Again, these are just there's a, a million different reasons. You could probably come up with 20 different reasons why Trotz is gone, including maybe Trotz just didn't want to continue being here. Um, but I do think the end of the season meetings with the players, regardless of what Lou said, I think they had a factor here. For sure. And I don't I mean, think he's not going to blame player. the players for it, of course, because that would be poor form for, I mean, I guess he had Lane lined up. So my initial thought on that last week when people kept floating that was, well, you know, why would a coach want to come in and coach a bunch of divas who just threw out a Hall of Fame coach? But, you know, I think there's there's definitely more to it than just Lou simply making a decision here. And to your point about there being, you know, oh, well, Lane's not a new voice. He's been with Barry for the last 11 years. I mean, the best analogy I could give is, you know, as a parent, you kind of, you know, you grew up with your dad and with your mother and you kind of looked at the way they raised you and you adopt some of what they do in terms of raising your own kids, but you learn from their mistakes. And I think there's a lot of that. For example, that by the way, coaching. for example, yeah, my ahead. dad was a dick. And I can ask you right now here. I'm going to ask my, hey, Finn, I, see, my kids will tell you that I'm not a dick. 
So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. BD, you wanted to say something. Well, as a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things is I don't think the players, anybody thinks the players bad mouth, but you could tell this year, and I think we've cited it a few times, the players By the were way, tremendously Pelic, frustrated. Right. For the, for, for, I want you to continue, but for people who might not remember, we actually dedicated part of a podcast. We extended a podcast once. There was a big game against Nashville. And in the post, in the po- and you were on this BD more than even us. We thought no, it was it wasn't BD. It was actually it wasn't Andy Grasso. No, but who- it was. But oh, was it okay? But it was, it was a Andrew. big. It was a big deal. Like and we kind of like poo pooed it, but he brought up it was like Adam Pellick sounded really frustrated at the end of a Nashville game where they lost, and he just I, I I'm and you're you're the you're the uh, encyclopedia here, Phil. But it was something along the lines of like we're sick of playing this style, like where we're always just playing defensive at the end. And he read into it like you know maybe the maybe he's losing the locker room a little bit. Pellick was referencing the fact that again they were sitting on a three-two lead for a good ten minutes in the third period, and Pellick was basically lamenting the fact that the style that they play makes it very, very difficult on the players over a long period of time to defend those one-goal leads. And I'm paraphrasing over here. And then they gave up a goal, and then they gave up a goal in the final 15 seconds, and that was the end of that national game, which is, you know, as, as Anders Lee put it that night, that was the that was a dagger in the heart. Mm. Um, and that's when, you know, we kind of knew, okay, this, this team's not coming back from this. And that was only in December. Uh, but, yeah, it, it could be that at a certain point, it runs its course. Lane has all the tenants of the Barry Trot system having been with him for the last 11 years. And I'm optimistic that hopefully he adds a, another element to it along with a fresh voice um, that gets the players re-energized, revitalized and, and ready to kick ass next season. Well, I mean, Hey, listen, if you give me and BD, I want you to jump in. If you give me uh, you know, a trots based defensive system, but with a more youth-friendly coach and a fresh voice, maybe that's exactly what we need. And I know we're being glass, you know, half-full optimists here, but I think when you consider that the options could have been Babcock, I think we should be optimistic today. BD, you were talking about maybe this team, you know, maybe Trot's losing the locker room a little bit, and that's I just wanted to bring up the Pelic incident. It, well, not only that, the um, it's look, they play a very grinding style that really pivots on the goalie playing exception. And that is a very tough system to do game in and game out. And for short seasons, that worked. And I think even Barry had mentioned that maybe during the longer seasons, that was a little bit too much. But the fact was it had an effect and constantly playing that and, and also sticking to it, no matter, even if the results were poor, just wore and wore them out. And it seemed to be a tremendous frustration and I think that a combination of different things, but the wheels all came off. And it, I think that Lou and probably ownership recognized that this wasn't a system that could, as is, could remain in place and constantly keep doing what it's doing. There were too many things out of whack. And I think, you know, that disjarring of items is a combination of things that through probably Lou and Barry in discussion came to a conclusion that it was, or, you know, that he made the decision. I don't think that it was just the players in the room, but I do think that everybody was frustrated, but I think that there was a lot of takeaways. Maybe Lou finally looked at at analytics because it wasn't pretty and 
those things finally, because the owners look at analytics, by the way, they're the ones who sometimes hire some of the analytics that are considered on staff, not low. And those things combine and when they make decisions. And I think Barry post, you know, when the season was lost, not doing anything kind of sealed that fate. From a glass half empty point of view, if we want to be negative for a second, the scary thing to me, and this could go many different ways, obviously, but the scary thing to me is if Lou, and we don't know, we'll find out in the next few months, if Lou thinks that this team is actually fine as is, and it was just Barry. Because I think we all agree, and correct me if I'm it's wrong, that it's clearly right. It's clearly not just Barry. And, and listen, I think we're all on the pay, same page of this was Barry's. Barry was bad this season. He was not a good coach this season. He made a lot of mistakes. And but so this, look. but clearly, <laughs> but clearly, this team, as constructed, you know, as constructed at the end of the season, I, I don't care who's coaching. Um, somebody tweeted Phil earlier today. Jesus Christ could have coached this team. And it would not have helped. Uh, so, no, I mean, it's just a matter of you, you can't have Chara, Green, Bailey, Martin, and, and the like. That's just not going to be a winning team no matter who the coach is. So that needs to be rectified. But I, I, that's my only concern from a negative point of view. Is, was Lou thinking it's just Barry? Or is Lou thinking it's Barry and I need to make changes? Yeah, and, and the only thing I'll add to that also in the glass half empty, I mean, we're, we're talking about a Hall of Fame coach here. We're talking about... When you get into a playoff series, I always felt comfortable that, okay, we've got Barry behind the bench. You know, no one closes out a playoff game better than us. Except, I mean, the Lightning do. I mean, we just saw a master class the other night of, of how to defend oh. the one goal lead in the third period. It was just breathtakingly beautiful what they were doing. It, it also, it also helps when you have it – it helps when you have a Hall of Fame goalie in, in that. It helps when you have Vasilevsky. <laughs> it, helps when you, it helps when you're rotating pairs that consist of Hedman and McDonough. I mean, right. they have obviously a lot going for them. Um, by the way, by the way, just on, on an aside, and I don't want to go, I, I will go, we'll touch on this in a second, but imagine if the Rangers actually didn't realize that if they thought they, their rebuild was going to be quicker than it was. Imagine that Ranger team with McDonough. That trade. Do you remember what that trade was? I don't, I don't, I don't, Ryan all, McDonough <laughs> and JT Miller. Oh, God. Or <laughs> Vlad Nemesnikov, who they put on the fourth line for some reason and traded for a fourth round pick. Brett like, Howden, who's now in Vegas, Libor Hayek, who sits in the press box, a first who is Nils Lundqvist, who was demoted to the AHL this year, and a second rounder we've never heard. Can from. you imagine that? I'm saying, I mean, as an Islander fan, who's somebody who I, I wholeheartedly hate the Rangers as much as I love the Islanders, how scary a thought of of that Ranger team? If that Ranger team, the Ranger team we see today and now, if they had Ryan McDonough, and if you're a Ranger fan and you're listening to this, you can cry when you're listening to this. Imagine your Ranger team as you get swept by Carolina in this next 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 round. If you had JT Miller, Ryan McDonough, and Pavel Buknevich. I mean, I don't know if you'd be able to fit all that under the cap with Panarin, but yeah, I mean, McDonough and... Figure it out. I'm just I, saying, I, figure it out. Maybe you don't sign Truba. I don't know. But you probably don't sign true. Okay, fine. Watching watching the Tampa versus Toronto series, you see, you know, people kind of looked at the Islanders this year. I was like, oh, we need more scoring. We need more scoring without understanding what the key problem was. Look at that series and look at the value 
of having a stud second pair left defenseman is. McDonough oh. changes that team. People, he, I, I, I mean, we said this from the start of the season, and BD, I know you were on this as well. From the start of the season, I, I think it was the first podcast we had, it was game three, and we were like, well, Chara can't be our, our, our second pair left defenseman, and we won't, this is going to hurt offensive, this is going to hurt defense, this is going to kill the team. And unfortunately, Chara played 74 games. Uh, it just, it was just never going to work, and we knew that. Yeah. And, and, and by I, the way, I, and the other side of that series, Toronto. I mean, they got they got close. I mean, give Toronto respect because they went pretty much blow for blow with them. But what Mark Giordano did for the Leafs blue line to make them a respectable defensive unit, whereas in years past, they were leaking opportunities right, left, and center. I mean, just wanting to point out that it's not just simply, oh, it's just one defenseman. No, it's one out of six people who need to occupy the ice for about a third of the game. Right. You know what? If Congratulations, defenseman. Congratulations, was- Toronto. You get all <laughs> my respect in the world. Go golfing. Uh, BD, your, 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 your take on this. Well, so let's move on. Well, what are we talking about? Because I was stuck on Toronto <laughs> because that gives me the best. Those, those tweets that I sent out had a lot of legs <laughs> of sweet dreams and, um, and other things. Look, um, the, the one thing is, the and of this, I said this last year at Toronto, and Toronto fans got all pissy. They don't have as much talent on their defense as they do as other teams, and it showed versus Tampa, and that was what undid them. Uh, you know, I mean, Tampa, last dude, Tampa beat them in game seven without Braden Point. I know. Well, Tampa's really good, and that was my question is, could Tampa? maintain such that high level and how long will it maintain? It's really amazing to see. And, um, and I really hope that the Carolina wipes the floor with the, with the Rangers, which I've been telling <laughs> that's my, my brother. By the way, that's my bet. They're, that's they're my scared, bet. by the way, of, of Carolina. So of course, are you, are you kidding me? That's Who the bet. That is the Speed bet kills. of the, I mean, we saw the Rangers versus five on five versus, I mean, listen, if the Rangers aren't starting a journeyman, I mean, I'm sorry, if Pittsburgh's not starting a journeyman AHL goaltender, and if Sidney Crosby doesn't get injured and miss uh, pretty much most of the game been over in five, it would have been over in five. Maybe. I mean, it's just not even a close series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and let's not mention like, I mean, Dumoulin was hurt too. I mean, the Dumoulin Rangers can go celebrate. Yeah. Well done. You, you, you beat a third string AHL goalie. Okay. You still suck and you're going to get wiped by the floor by Carolina. Anyway, let's move on. Um, we got the theories. We got the coach. Let's talk about lane. You BD, you mentioned, um, his, uh, he was kind of tasked with doing the, uh, with the youngsters in Washington. What should we expect from a schematic difference, if anything, going forward? Well, look, um, this team needs to derive an offense and possession. Um, part of that will be getting the defense equalized, something that was ignored, and that will help. Um, Let, let's assume, okay, for argument's sake, so, let's assume... Mm-hmm. Let's just like because we have to because otherwise we can't do anything. Let's assume Lou does his job this summer and gets an LD two that's mobile and efficient. Let's assume maybe Salo takes over LD three, and let's assume or someone else is signed. Whatever, right? Or let's assume and let's assume that Bailey is replaced by a legitimate top six winger. Even if it's even oh. if it's not Forsberg or Fiala, it's somebody else who can actually be a second a good a good a good uh, winger. Good, good setup on that. Okay. Um, so the team, it, in keeping to a system that 
where the defense first, the Islanders have a great defense when they are properly put together. So that would really shore up that. That gives an opportunity to get things equalized. Um, you know, is Wallstrom just can, can he even be a second line player? You know, that we're going to find out because that's going to be the focus. Or unless he's traded. You know, that's the other thing, you know. The question is, what value is there? And if other teams, it, I still think there is value there. It's a, Wall Street, it's there's just a, another there's a ton of value. There's a ton of value. value. Yeah, there's a ton of value right still with Wallstrom. So, it, you know, and if they can bounce back, move some, move some players, maybe somebody else makes the team. But when you have Lambert there, to kind of work with the forwards. And it also sends a message to the, to, you know, the younger players, here's a new opportunity. So hopefully they can build on that. Now in Washington, um, there were two forwards. I can't even, uh, was it Newtsoff? Burkowski. I can't, what was that? Yeah, Burkowski. Yeah, who did not pan out with them. So there was, and I think that, and that's where the trot system is kind of unforgiving. If you're not that type of player, you know, they end up trading him away and then he blew up into a 20 goal score for, for the avalanche. So, it, you know, it was a mixed result there, but Lambert was the guy to kind of work with forwards. And that's really something that I'm really hoping that can get, can we get Wallstrom to be at least a stable second line player? Um, if they can do that and they can add something on that first line. Let me ask you this. this. Very is, dangerous. Still a dangerous team. BD and Phil, is there a scenario where Lou is able to trade Wallstrom for a legitimate top six winger or Wallstrom and picks for a legitimate top six winger? And it's, it's Lane developing Simon Holmstrom instead. I don't know if it would necessarily be Holmstrom. I don't know if it would be Ratu. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard to speculate. The, the issue with trading Wallstrom is just he's on an ELC. So considering that there's only a finite amount of cap dollars, unless you start moving Varlamov and, you know, we hope of course that they move Bailey. The fact that he's on an ELC, it just, that, that inherently makes it complicated because of how cheap his contract is. I don't know what Lane's going to bring. That's going to be different. Um, the one thing I'm hoping um, and that I'm semi-optimistic about is that he, in his mind, has an idea as to which pieces do not work, and he's not going to make the same mistakes that Barry did with them, right? Maybe he doesn't have a place for Matt Martin, and maybe Matt Martin doesn't have a place on a Lane Lambert roster. Same thing with Josh Bailey, and same thing with maybe some other people who were kind of on the fringes this year, and maybe we actually see some real change that we were hoping to see last summer in that regard. Um, to the point about him working with young forwards, again, I, I haven't researched him extensively and what his role was in Nashville and Washington, but one of the first things that I was also thinking initially was, you know, with, with Barry, you might be disqualifying yourself from a couple forwards. I have no idea what his relationship was with Philip Forsberg back in Nashville, Barry. It's entirely possible that Forsberg hated the guy and would never want to come play with for him. Another big UFA this summer, Burakovsky, right? 20 some odd goals, 60 some odd points for Colorado this year. If that's a player you're hoping to get, well, we know he didn't like Barry. Barry used to, you know, 
scratched the hell out of him and pretty much drove him out of town there. So that could have been an element at play where Barry's history with Burakovsky and Verana in Washington. And now you have a situation where a couple of the younger forwards, Wallstrom and Beauvillier to a certain extent, although Beauvillier's had a track record of success, but he did kind of stall out this year. I'm wondering maybe that weighed into that decision and maybe Lou sees something with Lane where the younger forwards, the younger players won't run into those kinds of problems, potentially. Yeah. I mean, listen, to you, to both your points, I mean, if Lane brings the knowledge of working with Barry and that Barry defensive system and that responsible system, and keep in mind the bonus of Lane knowing the team, the team knowing how they need to win, how they're going to win games. And if, if, if Lane can keep that and then also reach out to the younger kids and get something out of them. That's huge. And, you know, frankly, we know it as well as everybody else does. If we don't get something out of Wallstrom, Kiefer, you know, Ratu, Holmstrom, Dufour, if, if, if at least two or three of those players don't turn out to be NHL regulars, this team's in a lot of trouble from a salary cap perspective and from a, uh, you know, from a, a, a player prospect. You need those players on ELCs to perform. So, you know, when you look at this team, you know, as it gets older, you need that next young crop to come in. Even if they are third liners and second liners, and even fourth liners, you need them. Couldn't agree more. BD. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to I was going to ask you um in in terms of Lane, so you mentioned the uh the playing with the young players and and in terms of schematic, do you think that he will be less loyal? Like I'm I I wonder if there was a thing where and, and this is pure conjecture, I have no idea. Was there a point where Barry was just really loyal to some vets and Lambert doesn't have that loyalty? I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Look, uh, the reason I would, my attention was at half attention is that I was looking at um, Lambert was the reason he was called up from Nashville, from the admirals was that he worked really well with the young forwards that were going up to Nashville that he came up. So he has a long history. And I, I was also looking at some other former players that were, that worked, you know, was with him in Nashville and then said he's, you know, great head coach and it's great to see. So it seems that he has a big fan base and does have a lot of forward development under his belt. Um, so, but that's why I was like at half attention here, but uh, you know, but go back to your question. I, I, I mean, I was just asking you about, you, you basically answered it. So that was the answer to the question. Yeah. You answered it without even yeah. knowing the question. See, look, that's how good yeah, you sorry. are. So this is yeah. why we have BD on the podcast. Everybody at home just wonder BD at 40% is better than all of us at a hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> I just want you guys uh, to realize yeah, I that. I kind of doubt that. My, my <laughs> wife would laugh at that. <laughs> uh, let, let's move on to uh, the draft. Obviously, we did not get lucky. We didn't move up in the draft. We ended up with the 13th pick, which is still, you know, a very high-value pick. And, you know, if you look at the Islanders' history, I think we draft better in the teens than we do early anyway. Um, uh, going back to Mike Bossy and obviously Barzal and so forth and so on, uh, we seem to draft really well in that, like, 13 to 17 range. Barzell Question and is, Pollock recently. I think, yeah, you know, right. Bar- Barzal, Pollock. And then if you look at the early picks, it's 
it's a bunch of Strom and Reinhard and Michael Dal Cole and Nino, which it wasn't really Nino's fault. He kind of got buried here, but yeah, question I, I have comfortable there. Do we, I think this is also really interesting to see where Lou is heads at. We'll know a lot at the, at the draft. Do we keep the, are we drafting and building our prospect pool or is Lou trading this pick? I'm going to ask you two-part question, both of you, and I guess Phil is going to go first. Question is, number one, what would you do? And the second part of it is, what do you think Lou do? Lou, do, Lou, do? Lou does. Lou do. Lou do. I, you know, again, I, I've got my tinfoil hat on here. They just signed Jimmy Lambert to play for the AHL team next year. Brad Lambert is projected to go, from what I understand, in that 10 to 15 range. That's Lane's other nephew. We missed on Tage Thompson. Nepotism should have been fully at play in that draft. How the fuck did we miss? I'm sorry. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to blow my... (laughs) Oh, my God. I I keep hearing people talking like, oh, well, he wasn't in scouting and da-da-da. How are, if you're Tage, how do you not like knock on somebody's door and go, hey, listen, my kid's really good. Yeah, he's not quite there yet, but give him four years. He's going to be really fucking good. Yeah, Sorry, my boy, go he's ahead. six foot seven. <laughs> he could skate well. Oh my he's God. got a great one-timer. <laughs> you don't want this. You don't want Bellow's son. You want my son. I mean, yeah. And they're probably going to fire Thompson after they just got eliminated tonight. I hope so. Um, God, go away, round. Thompson. Anyway, continue but on. Sorry. Just, again, just my tinfoil hat theory. I think if Brad Lambert's on the board, I think there's a strong possibility that they keep the pick and draft Brad, assuming they haven't traded it prior to the draft, which is entirely possible. I mean, we were talking about this early run, and I think a lot of people on Twitter who listen to us have really fallen in love with um, our brainchild of the Kevin Fiala idea, which is an idea that we were floating a long, long time ago. I feel like we, we I feel like we originated fact. that idea. I think we did. I didn't think <laughs> anyone I don't think talking about it. And then there would be no rumors except for you guys. You started. <laughs> we like, started it, and everyone else just like took and ran with it. It's yeah. been popping up everywhere now. We have you know Twitter accounts dedicated to Kevin Fiala to the Islanders, but I mean <laughs> Minnesota has a serious issue where they only have sixty-eight million in available space. You can't trade a dead cap penalty away. So they have what they have in order to work with. And if Fiala is going to want $8 million, which is probably what he's worth after an 85 point season, that becomes an interesting situation to potentially leverage. And it's not like when you're cap strapped like that, where you can necessarily dictate all the terms. There's only so many teams that could one take on that kind of player and then how many of those players, teams from a salary cap standpoint does it make sense for them to take on that type of player, depending where they are in the rebuild? Like, would it make sense for Buffalo to kind of hypercharge their rebuild by in, investing in that kind of deal? But that's something um, that you see happen around draft time, where you have the Buchnevich trade and the Seth Jones trade and the Rasmus Ristolainen trade, all for high draft picks. Um, and that's something that I can potentially see happening as well so what okay that's what you could see happening if you my had guess, if you had your my best guess is that if they're going to trade a first round pick they are going to gamble on the fact that next year's first round pick is going to be later than this year's because i think lou thinks that he is going to be a playoff team again and similar to what um i think it was chicago did they traded a future first round pick i think in the seth jones deal i don't know that they did they trade for last year as well. Is that what you'd want to do? And let's say if you had your, if you had your druthers, what would you want to do? 10 protect it. That is what I would want to do. 
If yeah, we yeah. can top 10 protect next year's first round pick, I would be more inclined to trade next year's first round pick. I would even do top five protect. You can't, you can't, you can't afford losing Bedard no, no matter what. Under no. no circumstances do you afford losing that. No. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that, and, and I'm going to throw this out there. I would think that every single team, for those of you thinking, hey, should we, should we, should we trade for first-round picks to so try to get a chance at Bedard? I would think that every single trade will be top three protected. Every 2023-1 will be top three protected to make sure that a team doesn't lose Adam Bedard. Yeah, I mean, that's standard operating procedure already, but right. yeah. No doubt. BD, for you, first-round pick, number one, what would you do with it? And by the way, we are going to have a draft podcast. I've talked to Cam Robinson, who does a great job, um, and and he has been talking to me. So we're going to try to get him on the podcast either right before the draft or right after the draft to kind of analyze the prospects and talk about the Islanders' prospects and so forth and so on. But for you, without getting into too many players, would you draft a player, start building up our pipeline a little more, or hey, our window is here, let's go for it. Um, and trade that pick for whether it's Chikrin, whether it's a deal for Fiala. Well, look, this team is built to win now or within the next couple of years. Um, I think that they have some serious gaps to get. They need an elite forward for that top line and, or, you know, and a key um, offensive defenseman. Those things cost assets. The Islanders lack high-end assets. I think you have to move the the first-round pick. I think it is a – to do any deal for what you want, they're going to ask for that pick and plus much more. Keep in mind, though, that first pick – I will say that first pick, and I think people do miss the boat on this. When you trade a late – when you trade a first-round pick – the Tampa Bay Lightning trade a first-round pick at the deadline. That pick has a significantly lower value than the Islanders' pick does right now. And I don't think mm-hmm. I think people missed the boat on that. To move up from 28 to 13 costs... Oh, yeah, it's substantial. Yeah, it's a lot of draft capital. So to get the 13th pick in the draft, the 13th pick in the draft actually holds a lot of value. Yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, I was just... I was looking back the other day because people were talking about Garth Snow drafts. I was looking back at what it took to trade up for the Calvin DeHaan pick. The Islanders were originally, they had the Tavares pick, number one, and then they had 20-something, which was the the Kyle Palmieri pick, as a matter of fact. <laughs> they traded from the Palmieri pick up to the Nick Letty pick, and then they traded from the Nick Letty pick up to the Calvin DeHaan pick. So we, we picked the worst of the three players, but I think they <laughs> traded either four or five draft picks to get from like 28 all the way to 12. It was like yeah, a two, that, a three, a couple of fours or something. That's all that's I, that's I want to point out. That's all. I, yeah, that's what I make sure people realize that 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 thirteenth. You know, people are like, "Oh, well, you can't just trade." You know, the this guy went for a one. Well, all ones are not created equal. The thirteenth right. pick has a lot of value. So yeah. if Arizona's thinking is, about trading Chikrin, I mean, the one has a lot of value. It does, but it's not all that's going to get that player, and that's the problem. No, and no. Other teams are going to be. Uh, no matter who it is. And I think that that first, if I was in that position, look, you know that the team needs to achieve something and get back to something. It's, um, and I think that you have, with those key needs, you have to move that pick. And I do think Lou will move that pick. Okay. You have to make, if he stands pat, we're fucking sunk. 
Well, if he stands pat, I mean, he's, telling, he's sending a let message me, that he doesn't... Let me say it clear. We're fucking sunk. You have to find somebody <laughs> to play with Barzal. I don't care if it's UFA. I don't care if it's via trade. Somebody needs to play at a high level and be on that first line, not hope that somebody moves up to it, but actually have it. Because... Well, frankly, if, I, I tend to agree with you. If somebody moves up to it, I would rather them force their way into the second line and just push somebody else yes, down. Absolutely. That would be that would be ideal because right. then we have three balanced lines. Um, I mean, I think Trotz's failures with Barzal specifically are one of are going to go down in one of his greatest failures. I mean, you have one of the most unique, creative playmakers in the game right now, who just sets up shots and sets up plays on a on a shift by shift basis, and to play him with. People who can't score in Leo Komarov and then backing that off, and I don't care about the results, and to back that off with the play with Josh Bailey is just inexplicable to me. Forced to be a, the, to be a scorer without a shot generator on, on his wing. And, and it's, it's not only Trotz, but it's also Lou, because that's been early on they pushed him to be more of a scorer. That's not his history. No. So... That you're not playing. So you're saying to, trade the pick. Now, if he if Lou decides yeah. not to trade the pick, does that send the team and us, the fans, a message that he doesn't think this team can win regardless, and we're going to rebuild? This is kind of a slow rebuild. I, I don't think so. I think it really depends on who and what hits unrestricted free agency. Right now, there is a pretty meaty crop of forwards that are currently unsigned. I mean, if you go through like the top tranche, you've got Johnny Goudreau, Philip Forsberg, Claude Giroux, Evgeny Malkin, um, you know, Brian Rust, Riley Smith. There's, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of really top flight to quality UFA forwards, Andre Burakovsky, who we spoke about. And I disagree with the notion that they need to get Barzal an elite scorer. I mean, again, we saw this team with Leo Komarov on the top line, Go game seven with Tampa Good point. and lost by a goal. I think you could go with one of those middle tier guys. I think if you put a Burakovsky with Barzal, so long as you have a really strong structured defensive unit where you're filling those gaps uh, with pieces that we used to have and no longer have, to me, that's a team that's competitive. I don't well, think I mean, Barzal to your necessarily, yeah, I to don't your... think he needs Philip Forsberg in yeah. order for us to be a Stanley Cup. To uh, your point, Phil, by the way, the teams with one elite line actually rarely do that well. You need two lines. And I think the Islanders, at least under trots, and I'm hoping this is the same as Lane, the reason the Islanders had success the years previous to this were they were balanced. So, I, I mean, I'm with you. Right. I'm you with you. I mean, listen, three lines. I just, to me, like Bailey was never a fit with, with Barzal. You know, if you put Barkovsky with Barzal, and then that second line is Nelson, Lee, and Beauvillier, and they're also scoring. And the third line is Pajot, Wallstrom, and, and Parisi, and they're scoring a lot. They're scoring. I'm okay with that. I mean, as long as you get scoring balance across the whole entire board. I mean, you can't put somebody who, I mean, Leo Komarov had, like, what, one goal? He had one goal. Yeah, I mean, I think Parisi. I mean, you can't put, he, you can't put, the, you can't put, you know, you can't put Josh Bailey, who doesn't score, on that line. Yeah, and I think I think Parise no, proved to my theory about that. I mean, Parise when he was paired with Barzal, he he was, I mean, he was scoring goals, right? Giving goal plays with Barzal, two on ones. I mean, there was a lot of that. I think I'm going to come out and say, listen, if you play, if you're a winger on Barzal's line and you can't score, and you don't score goals, you're just not a goal scorer. I agree. I mean, which is why I don't think it needs to be 
you know, a complete and total all-star. I just think it needs to be quality winger, yeah. real quality winger. But the most important piece is, is the back end. Oh, a hundred percent. I, I, and that, I couldn't and that agree to more. Me is something that you need to acquire via trade, right? Unless, you know, you figure out a way, <laughs> Unless Pittsburgh really isn't inclined to bring back Chris Letang and you somehow sign Chris Letang. Well, this is okay. This is actually brings me to the next the next thing. The next subject was off season. Okay, let's talk about what our off season wishes are and what our off season expectations are. Okay, so off season wishes, Phil, and your expectations, and then BD. Yeah, I mean, wishes are that you get a quality top four defenseman. Could be a lefty or a righty. If it happens to be a righty, then you could just trade Mayfield. Right, you could trade Mayfield to fill fill a left-handed void. I'm would that work? Would that, was that, does that work? Really does that work? Cap with the cap because Mayfield makes no money. He makes no money, but it really depends on who you're bringing in. I mean, if if you bring in an elite right-hander and pair them with a because it's just a matter of like switching up where the mobile defenseman is coming from, right? If if the idea is that we need to get a puck-moving defenseman to play with Mayfield because Mayfield's more of a stay-at-home guy, right? And then you went out and you got, again, I don't think they're getting Chris Letang, but you went out and got a Chris Letang type who plays the right side. Then the idea is you're swapping Mayfield for a left-handed version of Mayfield. Maybe Nikita Zadorov, who's going to come at a price, but we're not talking five, $6 million over here. We're talking about medium price. So I think you need a puck moving defenseman, whether it be a righty or a lefty, and then you could kind of figure it out. I think if Robin Salo, if they determine he's not prepared to play the bottom pair, you need to get something there. And like I said, you need to get a, a quality top six winger um, as well as a replacement for Matt Martin, which I think could be internal. I think there are options at Bridgeport that they should be looking at in camp. Um, but to me, it's four pieces. Yeah, by the way, going back to, and we've talked about those four pieces, going back to Lane, I'm actually a little bit excited because I feel like if Barry was here, no way Matt is gone. There's no way Martin is gone. But with Barry well, we'll see gone, if he's gone. I, I hope he's gone. <laughs> but with Barry gone, maybe there's a chance that somebody else can take over that fourth line for Maddie. Because I just don't. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. Um, you've been watching the Bridgeport games, and I want to get to that in a second. But before we get to BD, uh, Robin Salo, uh, in your opinion, at this point, I mean, it, it's kind of put up a shut up time. Is he ready for the NHL? In your opinion, you know, it's always hard to tell in an AHL game because it's just a different speed. Um, I think he is. I think he kind of got thrown into a really rough situation where he was all of a sudden playing top pair because everyone was out with COVID and then they scratched him and then Aho was terrible. So they brought him back in and he was playing bottom pair, mostly with Andy green, I believe. Um, and having to play, you know, two left-handed defensemen with one of them playing their offside at any given time. I don't think he ever got a real legitimate shot in order to prove himself. And I think if he does have a good camp, I see no reason why he shouldn't be given Again, he's going to come in for a league minimum salary, right? It's going to be either seven fifty or seven sixty two five if they do a two year deal because league min's going up in two years from now. So, I you know you have to have cheap players like that. There is definitely a player there, and from a salary, years yeah, old, at twenty four years old, it's it's really now or never. Yeah, from a salary cap perspective, the idea of having Mayfield and Salo on your bottom pair defenseman, that's a really nice bottom pair to be able to lean on. And they'll make a combined two point three million dollars. So that's huge. Uh, BD, your um, your off season wishes, your expectations. Well, the wishes is I I feel that they need. The, I'm trying to my 
And what I wish for them is to get back to the level that they were before to being on the doorstep. And I feel like they need as, as much of a quality to elite forward on that top line to do it. Um, my question is it Wallstrom or someone else to be on that second line. You hope, you know, you wonder with the lane uh, Lambert that they'll work with Wallstrom and maybe that will pan out, but that still becomes a question. Um, but otherwise I would say they need another winger and the ask them to move Josh Bailey, which as much as other teams might want him to move money in this league usually costs you. So, you know, once they do that, they will free up money and hopefully, and then the, the defensive, um, actually they need, yes, yeah, Salo or another defenseman on the, uh, but the, the key is the offensive defenseman. You, you could see how that absolutely disrupted the team, the inability to exit the zone, to get the zone entries offensively, and to keep within the offensive zone were things that they had done previously and really need. And I think that is essential. Edie, do they what still do need I to buy out Kyle Palmieri? No, I will, I will relent on that. Um, I think right. he's, he's very highly it. for the third line, but um, I think he's a very solid. And like we, you had said, and we've said that there's, there is scoring, whether it was trots, the Islander team that is of the system can score within all four lines, though the fourth line could for not the, score worth a the, damn this year. Yeah, for the and, record. And by the way, for what, for, for what it's worth, I think that I think Kyle Palmieri is, is another potential reason as to why Barry Trotz was let go. And it should be. By the way, Phil, it should be. Barry could not have used him worse. I mean, we, you and I talked about this. We tweeted about this. Like, right. you literally looked at the New Jersey Devils and you're like, wow. Palmieri has scored this many goals, so many goals from this spot in the power play. And then Barry and somehow Arthur Staple, Arthur Staple put out there and said that, it, Arthur Staple said that Kyle Palmieri was like an Anders Lee clone. And we're all looking going like, wait, what? And somehow I think Barry must have read that article and thought the same thing. <laughs> it's just like, it was, I, I, I blew my mind. Palmieri could not have been used worse this season. And about and, this season, I mean, you look at uh, the first He's played, I think it's been 86 regular season games that he's played for the Islanders now or something like that. The first 46 games, again, we're, we're going to delete the playoffs because of BD's theory where people step it up in the playoffs. You get that extra adrenaline. adrenaline. Some do, some don't, but yes. Some do, some don't. In his first 46 I want the guys who games, step it up though, by the way. Uh, agreed. And Kyle did. Yeah. First 46 regular season games, three goals. He had him in the most grindery of grinder roles. He did not have him in a place where he can succeed on the power play. And then in the next 40 games, he scored 14 goals. They were designing set plays for him to get one-timers off the draw. They started using him more effectively on the power play. They were moving him around. It's, it's just that to me is an indictment on Barry, how you can have this guy who was a money in the bank, 25 goal scorer for New Jersey. You get him. At the age of 30, you're not talking about a very old player over here, a little older, but again, the previous season, 2019, 2020, he had 25 goals in 65 games. Money in the bank, 25 goal guy should not be scoring 
at, at the clip he was for such an extended period of time, right? We talk about scoring slumps, but three goals in 46 I, I, regular I, I thought it was games, interesting I mean, that Islander, I thought it was interesting that Islander Twitter was so, much of Islander Twitter was bashing Parisi, Beauvillier, Palmieri. And then you start looking at it going, well, wait a second. Maybe it was Trotz. I mean, maybe it was Trotz. And in Palmieri's case, I think it was pretty obviously Trotz. It had um, to be. It had to be. It, it made it made no sense how this this pure goal scorer. Palmieri, Palmieri had literally so I was scored. To say it was it had to be. If it wasn't age, it was injury. Well, I mean, and, and by the way, it didn't make any sense, right? And by the way, I mean, I, I can't blame you for your conclusion. But when you look at it and you go, Palmieri has scored dozens of goals from the OV spot on the power play. And then suddenly he wasn't used in that spot on the R power play. And you're going, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't we use him in a spot where he was ridiculously effective? And it's just another thing. Like I said, listen, I love Barry Trotz. Um, years from now, I will still think of the years that Barry Trotz coached this Islander team. And I will think of it fondly. But I, I just think, you know, as we move on to another era, I don't want to look back at this era and just think of, oh, he was all good. You know, it's kind of the same way I look back at my grandpa. You know, we, I, I like to think my grandpa was wonderful, but then I think about it, I go, you know, maybe my grandpa was a dick occasionally. I don't know. Um, he's dead now. It's okay. We can move on. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so I want to leave this on a positive note. Uh, Bridgeport, you know, we made a nice run. The team made the playoffs. They won a first round, and they did it behind some youngsters, and there's a few players in that, in that Bridgeport team that maybe can say make some noise. I know, Phil, you've been watching the games. I, I admittedly have not been. I've been watching some highlights and stuff, but uh, whether it's uh, McLean or uh, and, and, and Holmstrom and Ratty, Ratu, there's some things to be a little optimistic about, right, in Bridgeport? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they, they were left for dead uh, midway through the season. A lot of it had to do with the fact that their team was decimated by the Islanders getting COVID, so they had to lend their entire roster to the big club, and then they had their own bout of COVID. And unlike most teams in the AHL, Bridgeport did not get any postponements, so they had to play with the Worcester Railers roster for a, <laughs> a decent period of time. Uh, but Simon Holmstrom ended up finishing third on the team in points um, as the youngest forward on the team, only 20 years old. He finished seventh, I believe, in AHL scoring for the 20 and under category uh, with 43 points in 64 games, I want to say. That seems good. So scored at a pretty decent rate. In the playoffs, I mean, he won a game for them, game elimination game in Charlotte game three. Um, he scored the second and third goals, third goal in empty netter, which turned out to be the game winner because Charlotte ended up making it three to two with a few seconds left. Um, but he, to me played really well this season. I thought Ratu was good. He kind of, I mean, here you have a guy who got eliminated from the um, playoffs in the Finnish league in the first round gets right off the boat, lands in Bridgeport. The first game he plays he doesn't have any points, but makes a positive impact. They clinch a playoff spot. And then in the first four games uh, of the AHL playoffs, he records a point in each of the four, including a big overtime series clinching winner against Providence, um, where he scored the game-winning goal there. Um, is he NHL ready? Again, he's young. He's 19 years old. It might be a good idea for him, especially since there isn't any center vacancy right now. Uh, in the lineup for him to kind of develop a little bit in Bridgeport, assuming they get a new coach, which I, which I do think they will at this point. Um, and then, then the last person who is interesting to me is 
Kyle McLean. I just, you know, I wonder if this is someone that they're developing uh, to be on the fourth line. This is John McLean's son. They signed him to an AHL contract. Jo- jo- is this John McLean? Is that like, uh, is that Die Hard? Is that no. John McLean and Die Hard? Right, BD. BD's a lot. He's chuckling. <laughs> I think so. Right? Is that is that is yes. no 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 not that John McLean. John McLean from the New Jersey Devils. I believe so. Right? Yeah. BD. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's from the Devils. Yeah. But yeah, I know. I know. BD always takes issue with Dufour being an overager, which he was not. But McLean was a true <laughs> overager. He went back for a fifth year to the OHL as a twenty-year-old, and then at the age of twenty-one, he debuted for Bridgeport. Um, but he is just a tenacious, speedy, forechecking pest, penalty killer with a little bit of skill. I, I'm just wondering for a you know, kid, he's 22 or 23 years old now, if that's someone they're going to look how, at. Putting how big is he? I want to say six foot. Not not overly big. But he's I listed mean, as 6'1", 190, so it's look, not. But he's fast. He kills penalties. Let me he's ask you this, and you guys, I don't know if you know the answer, but I'm going to throw it out to the audience, and, and, and I'm curious. It seemed like Barry was really insistent upon having that quote-unquote enforcer in the lineup. Whether if it wasn't Martin, it wanted Ross. If it wasn't Ross, it was Chara. And I'm just wondering, going forward, can we get away from that? Is that a Lou thing? Is it a Barry thing? Is it is it something that Lane cares about? I mean, I would love to see a situation where we get rid of Matt. Ross is not in the lineup either. And our fourth line is actually like a Sezikis, Cal, McLean lineup where I've got three pests. Give me three pests that hit hard. And one with the upside. Right. Well, give me three pests that are four checkers that are that are. I mean, fighting's not. I'm not one of those guys that wants to get rid of fighting in the game, but it's just not important. I don't think. I think it's been minimized in the new NHL. Yes, it comes in handy when you have a physical team against you, but you hope that you have enough within your system yeah, to our, offset that. keep in mind our team's not gonna it's not gonna suddenly be not physical i mean we still have scott yeah. mayfield we still have pellick we still have anders lee who will stand up for any teammate at any moment so our team is still physical but it just doesn't need the fighting element which just doesn't i mean i, I have very rarely seen ross like start a fight and then suddenly oh wow our team is great now it just doesn't work that way. I'm just wondering, Is do you it's think... One goal every once in a while. Right. Do you think Lane is the kind of coach that could get away from that, like, I need an enforcer mentality, and he could go with a fourth line of McLean, Sezikis, Cal? If he thinks that that player is, is you know, worthy, I, I think that Bellows could even work out for the fourth line to, to, to be honest with you. He, looked, he um, actually looked good in that role at the end of the season, and I hate Bellows. You guys know I hate him. <laughs> you know my hatred for nice Peter Bellows. Scored a pretty nice goal at the Worlds the other day. That's what I mean. I mean, listen, I would love nothing more. I, I've already said it. I will buy myself a Kiefer jersey, and I will buy another one and donate it to charity. I am very happy if Kiefer, chooses, if Kiefer proves himself as a regular NHLer, even on the fourth line, I will wholeheartedly do that and bite my words. Yeah, it was funny. I think I saw a meme. You know that, like, you know, that little dog and then that big jacked-up dog meme? That they have. So it was just like, you know, the first one was Kiefer wearing an Islanders jersey. And then the second one was Kiefer anytime he puts on a Team USA jersey. Um. It's a true story. Not not lying there. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, I mean, like, listen, whether it's Kiefer or whether it's McLean, I, I just think it would be really nice if, if you've got Martin off that line. I mean, from an opponent's perspective, I have to imagine facing a line of Sezikis, Cal, if, assuming Cal is healthy, and then either McLean or Kiefer going at 100%. That's that's a decent fourth line. Better than what they had this year. For sure. 
Yeah, because that that fourth line, even beyond Martin, was not good. So that you know, you really hope that the 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 change in voice, the maybe the change in a little bit in mindset, and you know, maybe some thought about getting in some skill, whether it's Bellows or someone else. Well, tumultuous times as an Islander fan, BD and then Phil. Uh, what should we leave our, our our Islander fans with? Obviously, those of the those of you out there who are listening to this podcast are the faithful, and uh, we certainly appreciate your support. But um, you know, Barry Trotz is out. Lane is in. Uh, we have a a summer of uncertainty in front of us. Another season of uncertainty in front of us. What do you leave the fans with, BD? Well, look. Um, there's still talent on this team. And if some of these players can get out of that regression and the, uh, and the malaise that they were in, this is a team that should compete for a playoff spot at the least. Um, they need to make improvements. And we've seen Lou say that he needs an offensive defenseman. So it finally went into his, into that skull after, a year, finally, and hopefully we'll solve that. So that is reason to think not only playoff viable, but potentially more. If they can fill out other areas, even better. But, you know, I don't know if they're going to be on the doorstep next year. But this is a team that should be able to get to the playoffs. And and if, if they can turn around some of those those items, so I, I feel that that's a little bit of optimism. Parzal's Instagram said we will be back. Uh, Phil uh, Phil, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is sporting the playoff beard. Um, very, uh, uh, it is not Lou approved. He's up in Toronto, but he has got the playoff beard on. Phil, for the fans out there, tumultuous times as an Islander fan. Uh, what do we leave him with? They fired Barry. That is a, a big change move that would indicate that there is a, there's a mandate. There's a mandate to win. You don't go firing a Hall of Fame coach with the idea that things are going to remain the same and that change is not going to be made. Change is necessary. They're going to have cap space this summer to go shopping with for the first time in a while. They have other avenues to create cap space with. I firmly believe that they are going to make an attempt at the very least to dramatically improve this roster in order so that they can be competitive. And I look forward to a very, what should be a very active summer. Uh, The one thing I will leave fans with is there is tremendous amount of parity in the NHL. Five game sevens in round one. I mean, Florida was an empty net goal away from being down 3-1 to Washington and possibly being out. So, you know, you're talking about a tremendous amount of parity. So are the Islanders far away? It certainly seems that way. When you watch the Carolina hurricane, when you watch Florida, when you watch Colorado, it seems like we're far away. But I do think, I don't think the changes need to be massive. Are they made? I don't know. Will they be made? I don't know. But I don't think the changes are, are massive. I think there are some tweaks. I need to we clearly we need to pick up a couple of players, and and I'm hoping that Lou does that. Um, I'm not holding my breath, mind you, but I'm hoping. Before we leave you, we will give you our second round picks and maybe our Stanley Cup winner picks. Uh, Phil, 
You you first. Give us our uh, give us your second round picks. We'll go through them all. The Rangers, Carolina, Carolina in five. Carolina in five. I like it. Tampa, Florida. Tampa in six. Tampa in six. Tampa in six. Uh, do you have inside I, information on Braden Point? No, I just I just didn't like Florida. I mean, if if you're barely scraping by the Washington Capitals without Tom Wilson, I don't know. I mean, okay. my 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 theory on Florida is is. Florida and Calgary are two teams that hadn't won a playoff series in forever. And these particular players, right? The Goudreau Kachuk core and the Barkov Huberto core, they have never seen any playoff success at all. So maybe all they needed to see was that we could win a round and then they'll get on a roll, which sometimes happens in the playoffs. Um, but they just look miserable. And I don't think the coming from behind from three goals down every other game is something that's going to work against the team as structured as Tampa. Tampa, they locked it down without Braden Point for most of the game seven against the Leafs. I think Vasilevsky finally decided at a certain point he wanted to wake up, and he woke up. And once you wake that guy up, he's only given up one goal in the past six periods that he's played. He is locked in. I think Bobrovsky stinks. He's a dud. I think they're going to blow him up. Tampa in six. Okay, uh, I'll go to the uh, the Western Conference, Colorado, St. Louis. St. Louis in seven. Whoa! I do yeah, think St. Louis. That pick. Okay, and uh, battle battle of Alberta. I'm going with Calgary. I'm going with Calgary, and in five. Five. Wow. I think, okay. I think Mike Smith is going to be the reason why they lose. I think it's going to be a high scoring series. Um, I feel terrible for McDavid. I'd love to see McDavid win. To be honest, I you know I I think NHL playoffs that have Connor McDavid are fantastic. He's so much fun to watch. I think it's going to be Calgary in five. BD, give me him quick. Calgary Ranger. I'm mean, sorry, Carolina Rangers. Uh, I agree with uh, with Phil. It's uh, Carolina in five. Speed Carolina kills. in five. Cool. I like it. Uh, Tampa, Florida. I think it's going to be Tampa. I also agree in, in six. I think that Florida, um, without and, and he's out for a good reason, but Quinville, uh, without that coaching and, and without that experience. That I think Tampa's going to roll them. St. Louis, Colorado. Actually, I think this is the series that you might. I think Colorado in seven. I think okay. this is the one that kind of forges Colorado. Calgary, Edmonton. I think that Calgary. I think that uh, the goalie situation will uh, undo. You know, take them out. They by not improving the goalie situation, and in these playoffs, that becomes and what matters so much more okay i will tell you mine very quickly carolina rangers not only if i think carolina is going to win i'm putting my money behind it i am betting on carolina to sweep and i'm winning betting on carolina to win in five i've got it carolina winning in four or five and i've got a pretty good price on it i do not think this game is i don't do not think it's going back to six the rangers are terrible they can't they, they're awful in five on five they were terrible versus the pittsburgh penguins and carolina is an absolute beast compared to the Penguins. So I think the Rangers are drawing dead in that. Uh, Tampa, Florida, I, I was also worried about Florida, but I like them because I think Braden Point is injured more than people want to let on. And I think Braden Point is just too much of it, too important to that Tampa team. And I think Florida is going to somehow eke through. But I do think Carolina beats Florida and gets to the finals. You think Tampa, Tampa beats Florida, you mean? I think, no, I think, I'm sorry. I think oh. Florida beats Tampa and I think Carolina beats Florida. Okay. To get to the finals. Uh, I think Colorado is going to beat the Blues, but I think the series is going to be a lot closer than most people think. Obviously, not you, Phil, or you, BD, but I do think Colorado prevails. I think the Blues give them all they want to handle. And I think Edmonton is going to beat Calgary. Um, I, I just think McDavid looks possessed right now. 
and I think he's going to will this team to the conference finals where they eventually lose to the Colorado Avalanche. And I think you've got a Colorado-Carolina final where the Carolina Hurricane will win their first cup. Well, not their first cup, but the cup this year. Interesting. That's my take. I'll put so it in So McDavid's going to play uh, and make some saves. He's going to do everything. Uh, <laughs> wow. he, he's just going to – it's just McDavid. He's I mean, listen, that good. Calgary is great. I'll finish mine out for you. I then have Tampa over Carolina. Tampa I over have, Carolina. So you must have Braden Point coming back at some point. Yeah, I have Tampa over Carolina, and then I'm going to have Calgary over St. Louis, and then I'm going to have Tampa over Calgary in the Stanley Cup. And a three-peat. The, th- the three-peat. Wow. I have money down on the three-peat. You have money down on the peat I have money on Carolina to win the Cup. BD? I think it's Carolina's um, year. I think they've put a lot together, so I think they'll get to the finals and win. I'm, more, um, I'm, na- I'm now more Avs. concerned by a pick, by the way. And uh, I think the Avs are uh, going to be the uh, their opponent. I'm, I'm now way more concerned with my pick. The fact that you, are, and you, you, and, I are, you and I and agree is it, scary. Yeah, Braden Point, I mean, no Braden Point for Tampa scares me, and he looked really hurt. I don't think this is a – they're saying day-to-day, but it doesn't look day-to-day to me. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, as he, lo- as he loses his left leg. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that. Anyway, that is going to do it for us, guys. Uh, take it as you will. Uh, we're here you know, once every two weeks, once every month. Who knows? But again, we are going to cover the draft, whether it's before the draft or after. You can follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for all your time. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, BD. And good night. Good night.